Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Welcome everyone back to Rooted and Unwavering, broadcasting live from Phoenix Business Radio X in Arizona, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Faber, and I'm so glad to be here today with my colleague, Rick Gage. Hi, Rick. How are you today? I'm good. Good to be with you. Excellent. So nice to be with you. Well, before we go into our conversation, which will be a little different from the first four podcasts, I want to first introduce Rick to you and and then also say a little bit about this podcast, how it's going to be different from from the first four. Um, So Rick and I have been working together for about three years. Uh, I met Rick in a space of connection, you could say. I I met him in a coffee shop, uh, or actually before that, on a conference. And something struck me about Rick, which has always stayed with me, which is this sense of unwavering support, unwavering saying, yes, I am here. No matter what, I am here. The sense of unconditional, you could say, love, uh, support, and groundedness. And as it turns out, in my view, that's also one of the core qualities of leadership. Rick comes to us with many decades of experience in corporate America, uh, a lot of those decades leading sales organizations and being active in sales organizations. And he is a, also a great coach and mentor. People that I've spoken about him with is say, say often like he's one of my favorite people that I ever worked with or my best boss. And having worked with Rick for the last three years, I can understand why. It's always a joy to to work with Rick, and I look forward to our conversation today, Rick. So welcome. A little bit about this podcast, and then I will turn it over to you, actually, Rick, and I'll put myself into the co-facilitator seat. What's different about this podcast today is since we had such wonderful guests and insights in the first four podcasts as we were exploring what it means to be deeply connected to ourselves and how to connect to others. Uh, we thought it would be worthwhile to spend some time looking at what we learned as if it were inviting those four wonderful guests back in the room through the words that they say and, and spend some time reflecting on those so that they can help us to connect more deeply into what is true about us and how can we lead and be of service from that place. So welcome everyone. And with that, Rick, I'd love to turn it over to you to get us into this fifth episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Wonderful, thank you, Hilka. Appreciate that kind introduction. And um, I, I love that I get to put you a little bit in the hot seat this morning as you have done with others in the first four podcasts. And I'd love to start with you just talking about, so there's this term rooted and unwavering and the the intro, you know, talks a little bit about some of those things about courageous and 
I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about why rooted and unwavering. Why did those words sort of jump out at you and, and what do they mean to you? Well, it happened during COVID. Uh, I remember reading something about Churchill. And whenever I read about Churchill, I feel the sense of he really stood for something. He was very clear about this is what I'm doing. Even though I may agree or disagree with him in some ways, there was a very sense of this is what my foundation is. And it made me think about how do I want to spend the next few decades of my life and of my life in service? And I thought about what has it been that has brought me greatest joy? And what do I think is most needed in the world right now that I can contribute to? What came up for me was the sense of when we are deeply grounded into what is true about us, not the fleeting thoughts that come from my mind all day long about, I don't like this, I like this, I want this, why is this not happening? Why is this person not doing that? This super highway of, of thoughts, it can be very confusing. I find that there's such great peace and clarity, quiet, fierceness that comes online when I allow myself to sink more deeply into what is always true about me. I, I work with a coach uh, for the last 20 years. Her name is Janelle Reynolds. I talk to her every Saturday morning at 8.30 uh, a.m., now Pacific time, used to be Eastern time. And uh, she always asks me this question, is that a love thought or a fear thought? You know, is that coming from your deeper self, what's true about you, or is this coming from some ego pattern, some insecurity, some, something that may have been imprinted in your mind, but actually is not true, is not unwavering. So that's how we got to those words of being rooted like a tree and unwavering. And unwavering to me is a quality of being able to move with. It's not like a pole of concrete. It's like a tree swaying with the ever-changing circumstances of life, but being rooted and staying rooted into what's true about us. I love that. And often as we talk about this, I, I hear some kind of contrasting words come together. And I think you used just in that one, one that I hear you use often, kind of a, a quiet fierceness. Or yeah. sometimes we talk about a gentle boldness. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's interesting that it, it's this it's this groundedness it's this awareness that there's other stuff going on that might be clouding things right now, but that's not the deeper truth. There is a deeper truth. Even when I can't see it right now, I know there is a deeper truth. I know there's something besides the thoughts that are racing through my mind yes. right now. And so rooted in unwavering is at its best when I am consciously connected, when that is really present for me. But at least it's an awareness that it's there, even if I can't feel it right now. Yes, 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 yes. I, I love that, Rick. And I love that you're being humble enough to also talk about the awareness of when we're not that. And so question I have for you then is, what is it like for you? And you talk about that a little bit already. What is it like for you to access that sense of being rooted and unwavering and what happens with you when you're not one of the things i notice is that when i'm not i hold tightly to thoughts and to things i become a little obsessed with i become very attached to 
a thought or an idea or a way I think things should be or and, and when I'm when I'm really rooted, you know, when I'm the tree with had a colleague a couple of days ago that was talking about visiting the redwoods in California and that sort of deep awe and sense of these thousand year old trees that have have stood there through all of this change that has come and gone in a thousand years. That's that sense of rooted and unwavering is this. Okay, there's that thing that's that's floating by. Oh, there's that thought. There's that thing that I imagine that I'm attached to, but I'm not really attached to it. it it'll come and go. It's a thought of the moment. Right now, I'm very worried about how that person is reacting to me. Yeah. And tomorrow, I won't care as much how they were reacting to me today. And and it's the there's something powerful about knowing that 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 less attached, that that holding lightly place is there for me, even when I can't feel it in the moment. So I can know that it's there and often can be in it. But even when I'm not, I know that it's there and I can, I can, oh, that this will pass. I, I'm really attached to the thought right now. It'll pass. But I'm really attached to this thought right now. I want to, I want to stay with this. Yeah, but there's also something else that will come back later. I love that, that, that holding lightly and not getting, being pulled on like whatever thoughts coming by. I'm like on the, on the zip line, whoop, gone. It's like, oh, I'm about to step on that zip line and I'm not, I don't need to do that. Um, and I'm also present to that doesn't necessarily always feel good because there's, in, at least in me, and I noticed in leaders that we work with and that I coach, there's also this sense of internal emotional turmoil that often goes with that about to go on the zip line or whatever thought reactivity we might be going into, or maybe we're already into it. And that is emotional soup that starts brewing and then having the wherewithal to say, no, I am going to stop. I'm going to stay right here. Think about, for example, what you said, maybe this won't be as important tomorrow. How important is this? and allow for something greater. Thank you for that. As we think back on some of the first four podcasts, I'd love your thoughts about what, what you've heard from our guests that that uh, connects with this idea of rooted and unwavering as they talked about how they experience their sense of interconnectedness or or courageous fierceness or or each of them had a little different flavor. But what were some of the things that struck you from, from the first four conversations? It's coming up for me is this sense of we're all surrounded by these teachers and those first four people were teachers. So if you're listening right now, I invite you to think about people that you admire that help you to bring out more of your best self when you think of them and when you contemplate them. You know, think about people that you admire. And when you think about them, you start to feel a sense of maybe inner tallness or a sense of awe or a sense of inner upliftedness or a sense of strength or a sense of joy or a sense of peace or a sense of clarity, whatever it might be. Oh yeah. When I think about this person, you know, maybe asking myself, what would Gandhi do? What would my grandmother do? What would this uncle do? And when I think about our first four podcasts, that's the sense I have. Like I think about what would Tony Towns Whitley do? I'm imagining her standing right beside me right now. Tony Towns Whitley being uh, a NASDAQ board member and former president of Microsoft Regulated Industries. 
tremendously powerful woman. And when I talk to her, I feel the sense of being rooted and unwavering. And she talked about how it helps her to stay strong and strong in the face of also given her racial background, a lot of microaggressions that she has transformed and is continuing transforming into opportunities for grace and for forgiveness, ongoing forgiveness. I think about Erica Schaper, person from the Netherlands, president of NHL Stand in Applied University of Applied Sciences in north of the Netherlands. And now this woman who's like energy is like a tree and talking about how important it is to be connected to her purpose and then how it allows her to lead and again, walk through difficult conversations with fierceness and with grace. I think about Zoya Litvin, the head of the Ukrainian company uh, or nonprofit Osvitoria that currently helps maybe about half a million students in Ukraine and outside who are now basically refugees to continue an education online and have her tell her stories about how she finds this power in her when the bombs were dropping on the, around the car that were in while fleeing Kiev. No? I think about Renee Joachim, the leader of people and customers, uh, customer experiences in Remitly, the remittance company. And just seeing her compassionate eyes and asking, seeing her ask herself, what would my more mature self, which she called Grace, this person that's 20, 20 years ahead of her in age, that's within her, what would Grace do? And I, when I think about all of those four people that we talk to, I get a sense of relief, possibility, and the importance of staying connected because the alternative, like you said, Rick, is that we get taken on some kind of route and side path that we usually regret when we get back into the seat of our truth. And that was one side. And the other side was each of these people, each of those leaders that I sense are like, I'm just imagining them standing in the room with us right now, giving us tools and saying, listen, you can, you know, Tony, practice forgiveness. This is how you stay connected. Zoya, you know, practice being clear about not reacting, but responding. Erica, think about what's your bigger purpose without getting caught away with some egoic, you know, grandiosity. Think about, like Renee saying, think about what would your wiser, more mature self say? All these people were doing that. But what about for you? What was it that you took away? With each of them, you felt the strength. You know, these are people who have an impact in the world in a significant way. Uh, and, and so their stories are compelling. And then you meet them and you find, and you get to know them and you find this inner reflectiveness, this humility, this um, self-deprecating sort of awareness of, of themselves as not the center of the universe. You know, I think it's a counterpoint to what we often see as toxic masculinity. And maybe it's not an accident that they're all women leaders, but I, but I think it's certainly not something exclusively to women. Maybe women are better at it in some ways than men. But, but uh, I, I just I loved the strength that was also adaptable and, and self-aware and, and tuned into, oh, this was going on for me and, and this is how 
I navigated that and here's a tool I need to use that they were all very practical. Yeah. Uh, I loved how practical and down to earth they were as they, as they talked about the tools yeah. and I'd love to spend a little more time on, on those, on those tools in a little bit, but let maybe, maybe let's each try to think of a time when we have felt really clearly rooted and unwavering and describe sort of what that was like for us. So I'll start with you and, uh, What's a time when you felt rooted in unwavering and and what was that like? Let me think about that for a second. I think there was a there was a moment yesterday where I really noticed it. I was sitting in a meeting. People around me were not behaving the way I thought they should. I thought, you know, a person was distracted, a person was talking over somebody else, and I could feel my ego wanting to fix it or teach them because somehow I thought being the center of the universe, I know best and just listen to Hulk and everything will be fine. I just recognized that pattern in myself. And, and as I sort of sat with that, I, I was like physically sitting back in my seat and noticing a sense of quiet, broader perspective, seeing myself as one person in this group with his own thoughts that could be perceived from somebody else's chair as arrogant if I'd spoken them. <laughs> and then with that humility came a sense of grace. It's like, ah, look at all four of us trying to do our best, including me. And that, with that came a sense of redemptive love, you could say. It's like, oh, we're all trying to do our best. Okay, so I can sit here and be part of the space and hold space, hold basically the sense of home for everyone, which means everyone's welcome. So my experience yesterday was, yeah, you're welcome, which I think is such a beautiful sentence. Yes, you're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. You're truly welcome, Hilka, you know, person A, person B, person C, with whatever you're doing and thinking, you're truly welcome, which by the way, doesn't mean I'm therefore going to agree with everything or being a doormat. You know, in the same meeting, I did bring something up, but not as you should, but as here's something that's happening for me. What do you think? What about you? I love that. Let me let me poke at that just a minute more, and then I'm happy to share. What you as you described that that process that you went through, it really reminded me of Tony Towns Whitley and her looking away from the ball. You want to maybe connect those two a little bit, and then then I'll be happy to share my experience. Yeah, so I'm actually going to read something with you, to you then. Like, I'm going to read, actually, because uh, I, I wrote down a few paragraphs in, in our copy then down before this session that I wanted to read today. And so I'm going to read this paragraph from Tony. Just bring her into room and say, and she says this. I would argue that in relationship to ourselves and others, we tend to have this first thought on whatever the stress or stressor is, this activity that happened, the improper this or that. And that's the ball. We're all focused there. And so forgiveness is about letting you know what's going on with that ball. And you think about that relationship with yourself you're, and with each other. We're much more than our worst, last worst thing that we did. Aren't we much more than? the last inappropriate thing that we just said or did. So the question is, can you take your eye off the ball? 
can you see the field and can you see the field of Hilka and forgiveness and open the aperture? So that doesn't mean the ball is no longer there. It's still there. But my attention is, is on the field. And I love that image. I've been thinking about it a lot in the last few months since we had that conversation. Like, huh. Because so much of my training and about training is to stay focused on the ball and the thing that happens. And it's a very useful skill. Part of being rooted and unwavering, as I practiced in this meeting, and thank you for connecting the dots for me, Rick, is <laughs> that's what was happening. I was learning to take my eye off the ball into the field. So what about you? Well, it came up for me. I hadn't hadn't planned what I was going to talk about, but what came up for me as I asked the question was I I, I gave one of the hardest sort of uh, talks from up front that I've ever given a couple of weeks ago at, at uh, the celebration of life for my wife who passed. And before that session, I had I had written something that I wanted to share, but I had no sense of whether I was going to be able to actually share it in the moment or not. What makes that hard for me is when I'm in a weakened state, I have a less, I do a less good job of holding an edge so that I'm feeling my stuff, but I'm not feeling other people's stuff. When I'm depleted, when I'm tired at the end of a day, when I'm in a long meeting, I get not as good at filtering out those things. And when it's my emotion, I've learned how to let it flow through me. So like a, a, a moment of grief, that, and I have many of them now with my wife's passing, they pass through me. They actually pass through me fairly quickly in seconds or a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it's somebody else's emotion, it doesn't pass through me because it's not mine to process. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a room full of people who are all feeling their grief about this loss. And so I had asked some people ahead of time to help me hold an edge. And five minutes before it was my turn to talk, I would have said, there's no chance I can do this. The guy who was going to stand in and read it for me will have to do it. And, and then uh, in a kind of amazing way, a, a calm settled. It, it was just like the wind stopped blowing and it got quiet. And I was still feeling my emotion, but I wasn't feeling everyone else's emotions. And so I was able to stand and, and, and read what I had written. And, and there were emotions that, that flowed for me, but they were my emotions. They weren't others' emotions. And so a piece of Rooted and Unwavering, I think that's interesting for me is that I'm feeling my stuff and not your stuff. And, and I, I'm dealing with, with what's inside me without mirroring as much or, or, or taking in and being unclear about what, what's mine and what's not mine. But that was one experience that was that was poignant and recent for me. Powerful. Thank you, Rick. I I remember seeing you stand there behind the lectern with that person behind you as the potential person that was going to stand in for you. And I was very struck by the quiet honoring you were doing of Rebecca. And I, I felt a real sense of presence in that. So that's very interesting to me that you were able to stay with your own emotions without getting lost in them. And then the sense of openness and calm happened. And I also love your observation on other people's emotions. There are other people's emotions, which doesn't mean we're not sensitive to them, but it's one thing to sense them. Like it's to sense the heat of the fire. And it's another thing to try to put our hand into it 
and try to, to quash it. And sometimes what the fire just needs to do is to burn itself out. It's often a wiser way to do it. I think of it as I, their, their emotions come up to my edge and I can feel them at my edge and I can be aware of them, but I don't take them in and, and feel them as undifferentiated emotions within me. Uh, oh, yes, you're feeling that. I, I feel that you're feeling that. Re that reminds me of when I have felt that way. I can really understand that. I empathize with that. I, I get that. That's a hard thing to go through. That's really helpful. But I know that it's your feeling of that. It's not me feeling that. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about Zoya as well. Like as, because I'm thinking about that was a moment of truth for you, Rick, and Zoya Litvin living with her family in Kiev and then being woken up at 4 a.m. on one morning by bombs that were shattering her windows and then getting into this car with a friend of hers and the kids were driving out and the kids were like, mommy, what's, what's that? Like, what's, why are we driving to the fields? And she's saying, well, we're going on vacation and I'm going to read a quote again from that, which really struck me how she talks about this strength that came in line in her when she was rooted. She said, and I, I quote, I've discovered that I'm much stronger than I ever thought I am. I never considered myself to be a weak person, but when war has happened, my first thoughts were, okay, I will be mentally broken. It's not something that a normal person can handle. It's too much, but no, I managed to survive. I managed to continue my job. I managed to keep jobs for my team to find a solution. But at the beginning, it was so overwhelming. I thought I wouldn't be able to do it. But after three, four or five days, when I realized I'm responsible for my kids, I'm responsible for my team, I found a solution. You know, war also brings new perspective to motherhood. I thought that was so beautiful. War brings new perspective to motherhood. And she said, I realized that thoughts were only thoughts in my head because as a working mother, there's always a dance, how to find balance between kids, family, yourself, and your job, even knowing that I adore my job. But I always felt that guilt. I'm not giving enough time to my kids. I should spend more time with them. And then she said, it's, it becomes a very clear selection in your head. What's really important and what's not so important, there's a clearance that happens. There's a clearance that happens. And to me, when you're talking about what happened to you in that room and then at that lectern, when I think about Zoya, when I think about, Eric, about Erica, we'll talk about her later, and when I talk, think about Tony, facing the microaggressions because of her skin and then allowing for a space to happen, a clearance that happens that allows for the focus on what's really important. Thank you for that. So maybe it's a good time for us to take a, a short break. And as we come back, let's, let's focus on the, the wonderful set of tools that we heard from all of these folks and the ones that we've, that we each use ourselves for how do we, how do we, get to that rooted and unwavering place, or at least stay as aware of it as we can. But let's just take a short break. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership 
team and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. So let's make this practical. What are some of the tools that we can use? What are some of the ones that that uh, jump out at you, Hill, because you think about the conversations that you had with, with these four amazing guests? Well, the first one that comes to mind was Renee and Grace. So Renee also has, as a leader who's been a leader for a while, I find it so interesting, the humility she brought and this question that she introduced, which is, what would Grace do? And Grace is the name of uh, her older self, her older self. I'll, I'll read a little bit about her discovery process that she described in the podcast, which I just was thought was fantastic. She said, now I, did, I had some coaching in my mid-40s. Around the same time, there was another challenge in my life because I was not able to have children. So I hit this point in my mid-40s where I very much thought, I don't know what I'm going to grow into when I get older. I kind of got afraid of being older, but I'm not going to have children. I'm not going to have grandchildren. That was like a big realization I hadn't thought about earlier in my life. So I did some exercises, some work. I realized I didn't have a role model for women, especially older people that I want to be and aspire to be, like in my 60s or 70s or 80s. I love my mother very much, but she has six children. So that's not how my life was going to be. And so I did some work with the coach that helped me realize, just like letting out the inside of me, being bigger and thinking of who I want to be 20 years from now. And I named her Grace, like my future self. Grace and she just keeps aging ahead of me even now. She's now in her, in her 80s. And I very much think, what would Grace do in this situation? What would do a bigger version of myself do in this situation? I'm able to visualize this. And I think she has been this threat, kind of pulling me forward for the last 20 years or more. And it just continues. It continues to grow. And I continue to aspire to grow into her as well. I just love that. Like I feel that sense of humility. Like I continue to aspire to grow into my more higher self as well. It's like an endless journey and also very practical, right? She talked about being in difficult meetings or difficult situations. She talked about COVID and how she and the CEO of Remitly, company that she's serving in, working in remittances, which is basically sending money from developed world to developing world in a low cost effective way, how difficult it was in the middle of COVID, where there were all these situations going on all around the world, including people who were denied COVID, there were no precautions and people had to be in the office, not to be in the office. It was like suddenly an exponential increase in complexity. And so she asked herself this question, what would Grace do? And It wasn't just a mental thing. She also describes how she sat down with her CEO, Matt Oppenheimer, and how they would sit together and sometimes meditate and ponder, basically, what's the wise thing to do? So I thought that was a very powerful tool. And I've been asking myself that. I'd love Renee talked also about how 
starting well, paying attention to the start was an important thing. So paying attention to the start of her day, creating some time and space for meditation or reading or, or something that puts her in the right frame of mind, and then starting again as she comes into each meeting. What does this meeting need for me? What, what, what's, what part of me needs to come forward next into this? What, what would Grace do in this, in this next meeting that I'm going to come in? I thought that was just a really beautiful, simple tool that could be really valuable and it inspired me to, to pay attention to that more, to try to create more meetings that end five minutes before the next one so I can have that little brief moment to, to really think and get grounded in, all right, what, what do I want to bring to this next meeting? So often I run from one meeting right into the next and, and I don't have that thought and I'm already in the meeting and it's already flowing before I've given attention to and really what do I want to be the outcome here? What, what can I bring that will be the most helpful? So I love that sort of pragmatic way in which she brought this, this beautiful concept that I'm working on. What's the name of my future self? I don't have an answer yet, but I, I do want to find a name for my future self because I love that. I think so, too. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about also using the body, right? So she talks about this as well, Renee, but like this deep breathing, like breathe deeply so that it becomes easier to access more wisdom. And like, I, I almost feel like mini maturation happening when I breathe more deeply. And I feel like mini, like becoming more juvenile happening when I start to like contract. So that sense of being intentional before and also um, doing meetings. Another thing I love to do before meetings or in between, sometimes I like to read some poetry because poets have a great way of stopping my ego mind and helping me to step out of whatever thing I'm thinking about or music or Erica talked about taking walks in nature. Yeah, I love that. What were some other tools that came up from, from guests? Well, I also liked Tony's this, and I want to just come back to this, this tool of forgiveness because what she said was, when my eye is off the ball of this worst thing that just happened, this thing that I didn't want to have happened, this bad thing or whether it was worst or something, it, she says, it opens the aperture. It opens the aperture to, to see the field. When you look at the field, you also learn where the ball is going. You see patterns. So it's not only letting go of that thing that just happened, it's also being able to use the wisdom of the moment, being able to say, ah, this is, this is what's happening. So I thought that was beautiful. She said, people are more than their worst moment. They're more than their worst moment. They're more than that. And I think that what gives an opportunity to connect to that other part. So and she had a really simple, direct, pragmatic way of doing that that I thought was, was beautiful. So first, a long exhale. Then I sit back in my chair. Can even do it in a meeting. Just let physically move back. Then I notice the peripheral vision that I have physically in this moment. I can see out the window there. I can see the chair over there. And, and, and those things are, are what open the aperture. Right? So very simple, practical tools for, for coming to that. And then I love she talked about uh, having a practice of storing up treasures about people. What are some things about this person that I really love? You know, tucking those away in my memory. 
and then bringing those forward. At, you know, when she was having this conversation with you, she was talking about, remember the time when we did this and did that? And, and I found myself wondering, did she really have all those experiences with you or was she making some stuff up? But it didn't matter because they were just wonderful little gems of, of experiences that you could pull forward into a moment. And those things were what kind of broadened the aperture. Oh, that's right. Hilka's more than what's happening in this moment. This person in front of me that is, is behaving badly or, or there's this conflict or whatever it may be, there's all this other stuff that's more than that. So I, I love just sort of the physical tools, the, the somatic process that she, that she talked about that, that, that allowed her to embody and, 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 and deepen into that forgiveness. I love that storage storage space of of other things, because I think that is part of the the wisdom of connectedness. It's seeing the connection between everything and saying you're not just this thing that just happened, or what you just said, or the feeling I just feel be in, triggered by what you just said or what just happened. You are much more, and I am much more, and that gives us tremendous sense of okayness. I like that. What were some other tools that, that struck you? I always love it when somebody does something that's sort of counterintuitive. And Erica was great at talking about thinking small. You know, so often I want to think big. I want to expand my view. I want to think about a bigger impact. And I want to open up more. And there are times when that's appropriate. But I loved her thinking about how COVID has invited us in many cases to think small. Huh. What are the things that I can impact right now around me? And she talked about it as an antidote to overwhelm. That's my word. It wasn't her, hers, I don't think. But this, this sort of sense with climate change, wars, all these things, how can I help? I, I can't fix these things. They're beyond my scope. But what can I do? What can I do within the, the sphere of influence that I have? How can I take a step in the right direction within the context that I have? And letting that be enough, letting that be what, what's called for here. That it doesn't always have to be a think big. Sometimes it's okay to think small. I love that sort of counterintuitive of thought process. Because yeah, because when she first talked about Erica first talked about purpose, I remember my ego mind thinking she's talking about big things, and Erica actually is doing big things in the world in from the Netherlands. So she's leading this university. She's part of the university board in the Netherlands. She's active in many public service ways. I want to read something about that from, from, from what she said in the beginning of, of our podcast, where she was also being coached. In this case, it was about a person who had a theory about energy organizations. She says, he made it very physical with some plates on the ground where I don't know exactly what the theory was, but you can really feel how it is to be in the parts on those plates. One of the plates was structure and core and meaning. And I thought, well, this is my plate. So I stepped onto that, but nothing happened. And then I stepped onto another plate. And that was about being part of a greater whole. And what happened was when I stood on that plate, I felt like a rocket. I was about to fly into the air. So that moment was very important to me in terms of connectedness because I always know that whatever situation I'm in, I have to feel what is the importance for the greater whole? Why am I doing this? What is this bringing to society? What is this bringing to people? 
And when I go, go back to that moment, I can always feel that. So when I heard that, and when I thought about that, and then I think about what you just said, Rick, about the humility. For her, that rocket can come from and work towards something that in our minds is very big, and it can also be very small. And I, I, that sense of being clear about what am I called to serve right now? I'm, I'm thinking about a teacher. I work with a person called Adya Shanti, who's teacher for many people. And his teacher was far less known, woman just teaching from her house, Zen, Zen teacher, or at least kind of a Zen teacher, not completely like that. And so she had this big impact on people. And then in her, I don't know, mid-60s or 70s, whenever she retired, I heard the story that, well, she just stopped teaching. And what she did next was she started serving in Adya's mail office, mail, mail room, and basically working on putting stamps on envelopes. And that was her way of being part of the greater whole. And that was very refreshing to me because also in the work that we do, now I love the work that we do, like coaching and facilitating. And I think I have a bit of a preacher <laughs> archetype in me. I like that kind of inspiring and so on. And then when I take a step back, I realize it's just a role. There's many ways in which one can be of, per of service to the greater whole. It can be serving a good meal or just taming our own reactivity, being peaceful, listening, stopping, asking a question. I love that. And I think for me and for many people I know, there's a kind of an arc in, in a career and, and in life where there comes a point where the striving sort of dissipates a little bit. I can remember sort of the point where, all right, I've achieved what I set out to achieve. I, you know, I have the title that I aspired to have. I have the scope of responsibility that I have. And, and, and there was a, you know, a, a moment of, you know, and I, I'm okay now if I don't ever have another person report to me. I've lost the ambition to have more people in my, in my organization. I've, I've lost the ambition to have more title uh, or something else. And there's a, it's so freeing to be in a space of now just what, how can I be helpful here? And then, you know, I'm willing to lead if that's what's called for. I'm willing to speak from up front if that's what's called for. But I'm also okay if it's not me to speak up for, from up front. Uh, you know, I'm happy to be in the background and let someone else speak up front. Uh, and it, it's just, I think there's a natural wanting to achieve that's in us as humans. And, and it's a wonderful drive that accomplishes amazing things. Uh, and then there comes a point where I don't have to do that anymore. And there's a detachment that comes also from, from other people's opinions. Not entirely, of course, I still care what people think of me, but, but I care a lot less now than I did before I sort of reached that point where things shifted. And there's a real freedom in, in being able to be less attached to how, how people are thinking about me or how they're seeing me. And just really being able to say, how can I be helpful here? And that still connects you, us, to this, what Erica described as this rocket-like energy or what Zoya described as this, I didn't know I had the strength in me. Like that was, she was asked to serve in that car out of Kiev 
to basically get to safety. That was what he was asked to do, right? Tony faced with challenge, like holding somebody accountable or working with somebody who was saying something that wasn't very nice. Being with that from a place of forgiveness, that was her purpose at the time. When I think about me yesterday in that meeting, when I opened myself up, my purpose was to just quiet down and just you know, be present and do my own inner work for a little while and then come from that more grounded place. So I think all of those things are pointing to that groundedness from which we can be of service. And different things stretch us at different times. One of the things that Erica talked about that really resonated for me is, I think she said something like, this is almost a direct quote, um, I need to be willing to have others be angry with me. And I think her context was like in a, you know, in a letting somebody go in a layoff kind of situation, which I've had to do a bunch of times. And there is something really powerful about being, and, and you may need to feel angry with me for a while right now. And I can't, I, I can't stop that. And it wouldn't be helpful for me to stop you from feeling that anger because for you feeling that anger may be a part of how you set a boundary and, and how you navigate the, the experience that you're going to need to go through now. That one's a stretch for me. I don't like people being angry with me and I spend a lot of energy avoiding it. And when I can let go and say, all right, I'm willing to have people be angry with me, then I can also take a lot of the energy back and, and focus it in, in, in another way. I love that to me relates to what you talked about in terms of the edge, mm -hmm. like being clear about your own boundary and what is your purpose to do and what is not your purpose to do. And when I know when I started this work, my, I thought my purpose was to change everyone and change myself. But I, I, knew I had a recipe for everyone. And what I've been learning, and I'm still learning, witness from the last meeting from yesterday, is that that's not my job. And I still have to unlearn that in myself. And that the greatest way I can be of service is to be present and let other people have their own emotions. People say, like, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. I know when I've been angry and I allowed myself to feel the feelings, I often discovered that underneath it, there's a fear. Truth be told, I felt a little angry at the people in the meeting yesterday. And when I'm truthful, I realize it's because I was afraid that I wasn't able to handle that situation and lead to the outcome that I thought I wanted had nothing to do with what was needed in that moment. I also wanted to mention something as you were talking, Rick, about serving a humble purpose. And as you're talking about your wife, Rebecca, last time I saw her, she did me a great service. I just had met with you and we were standing, uh, she just had come home from amazingly being of service to another friend who needed help. Well, she knew she was in her own process of potentially healing and potentially dying. She wasn't sure at the time. I remember talking to her, and I talked to, about this with my husband as well. There was such a sense of peace in her. She didn't need anything from me. She just let me know in her own way that everything was okay. Whatever was going to happen next, with her, with me, with our business, with the world, she was going to, it was going to be fine. And it wasn't even so much what she said, but kind of how she was standing behind that garage and how she was looking. So I, I think that was a beautiful way in which 
Rebecca was of service in that moment. And my aspiration is that I can be like her. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And it highlights for me one of the things that has became a mantra for us often in our morning tea times. We talk about about how we were showing up in the world and, and, and what our aspirations were. And, and increasingly over the last years, we'd come to know that who I am, being, my beingness is often what is most helpful. It isn't what I'm going to do. It's just showing up and, and being me. And what you just described was her being her. And it wasn't what she said. It wasn't what she did. It was the way in which you were able to connect with her beingness in which she was just okay with what was going to happen because she needed to be okay with what was going to happen. And she wasn't always okay with it, but she kept wrestling with it to, to get to being okay with whatever was going to happen. We describe that journey often as holding multiple futures. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's, it's, it was a really interesting process for me to go through because I know that notice that my mind would rather hold on to a something I perceived as an, a certain future that I didn't like right. than to hold open that I don't know what the future is. There, there's such a desire to, so we're wired so much for safety and survival that, right. we, that we want to hold on to a certain future, which is an illusion right. because it really is uncertain. And, and the only way we can really stay rooted and unwavering is to be the tree that's ready for whatever winds may come. I think that's uh, fantastic. Fantastic. I, there's a quote in the Tao, which has been my guiding light to all of it, which is knowing constancy is insight and not knowing constancy leads to disaster. And to me as leaders and as human beings, and for at least for me, the more that I'm getting to know what is constant in me, which Rebecca embodied, which you talk about, which Erica and Tony and Soya and Renee and many people. And I think the people who are listening also sense and know, otherwise we wouldn't be here. That gives sort of unconditional sense of groundedness and then getting lost in the futuring is disaster because our mind is very creative it will come up with all kinds of scenarios and usually not very good ones and try to find certainty out there in the mind what is certainty is only in here in the tree that's beautiful any last things that you want to say or share rick it's been such a joy to explore this together with you because also we're getting towards the latter part of this hour together. Just a share. One time in a, in a workshop, I had an experience of, of, of embodying a tree where you, where you plant your feet and you get rooted and you're standing opposite someone and they actually push on you and, and you discover that as long as you're willing to just flow with whatever they, whatever happens, you can stay standing quite easily. There, that we, we naturally are able to be in our bodies, rooted and, and unwavering. But we don't often have the sort of physical sense of that. Yeah. When, when I would get in trouble and when I could be pushed over is when I resisted that force, when I resisted that wind that was, that was blowing. That's, that's why trees are able to survive windstorms is because they bend and they flow and they go with it. 
And that image and that sense is really powerful to me as a, as a representation of what the experience of being rooted in unwavering is. Yeah, to be able to bend, I have to be willing to break because otherwise I'm not really bending. That I think is what part of what I'm learning also from being present to you and Rebecca's story and to hearing from all these beautiful leaders. We are coming to the end of this episode of Root and Wavering. It's been a delight to, to be together, uh, listening together with you within ourselves. What is true about us? What is always constant? What can we rely on that we can more and more discover and lead from this? Uh, next time, uh, in our next Root and Wavering podcast, I will be speaking with Pamela Madsen. She's the Senior Vice President of People and Organizational Development at Outreach. It's a sales execution platform that helps revenue teams bring intelligence to workflow. And Pamela is a wonderful coach and uh, leader and person that to me also exemplifies being rude and unwavering in her own way. That's it for today. Thank you, Rick, for leading. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being present. You've been listening to Rude and Wavering, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.